Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Welcome to Radio Free Brook. Uh, welcome to Radio Free Brooklyn's uh, Crime Talk BK. This is your host Joanna Perpich. I am here today with my wonderful co-host Megan Duffy. Finally made it into the studio. <laughs> um, we've been having some challenges with Lyft drivers and <laughs> wind trying to knock cigarettes out of hands. <laughs> uh, 
Not mine for anyone who knows me personally and is rooting for me to. I take full responsibility. <laughs> I feel like I have send to send your complaints elsewhere. No, my favorite thing about you smoking is I get to stand next to you and get the secondhand <laughs> smoke. That's when you know you have an addiction problem. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, so uh, today we're talking about a really ex- a topic that I've been wanting to do for a very long time, and that is the CSI effect. Uh, which is basically um, truthiness and how that affects our criminal justice system and why you should never take a lie detector test. (laughs) All right. So um, I'm going to start out by congratulating our uh, very first cohort of the RFB teen squad. Uh, They have just uh, wrapped up and uh, we're so proud of all the really awesome things that they've learned and done. Um, I'm excited to see what the alumni now do with these skills, maybe get their own show here. Uh, you know, we have these uh, four times a year. The next one is April 29th. So if your teenager wants to sign up or if you are a teenager and you're cool enough to be listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, you should definitely check our, our website for more information and to apply is at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash Teen Squad. And um, I know I talk about Teen Squad every week, but it's just because I think it's the coolest program ever. Uh, Also, Radio Free Brooklyn runs on donations. Uh, We are a nonprofit. We are all volunteers. None of us are really making a dime off of it. And uh, if you want community radio to continue in Bushwick, uh, please think about donating. Our um, donation address is RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Again, that is RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. We could use every cent, and we really appreciate our listeners. Now, (laughs) every time I read that, I think about all the places that I want to donate money to. I know. I never do. Oh, oh, I do. You do? Yeah. Oh, you're a good person. It's not much, but, you know, every little dollar helps. I donated to the SPLC once, and then I gave them my phone number, and now... Oh, no, no, no. You can't do that. <laughs> has to be anonymous donations. <laughs> um, oh, and speaking of which, I also donated to Beto O'Rourke's campaign when he was running for Senate. Oh, you're going to donate now that he's running for president? Uh, probably. Yeah. Gonna buy, like, a T-shirt or something. Yeah. I... I don't know. He's from El Paso. Everyone shits on El Paso, so I kind of want to root for the... Little guy. I I like him a lot. Um, I don't know if he can um, win the presidency, but I think he has a good chance, at least in the primaries. He's not going to embarrass himself. And right now that's like all I'm asking for. <laughs> He's not a flag hugger. <laughs> but um, it's going to be interesting. I'm kind of excited to get into primary season. Yeah. Also, my whole family lives in Iowa. So uh, <clears throat> I might visit them oh, this fall. <laughs> tis, uh, tis the state to see it. I got to meet uh, Giuliani that way, actually. Oh, God. Oh, come on. I was from Texas. I was young. I met him in the vestibule at a Palm restaurant. He's a <laughs> he's such a twerp. I hate him so much. He was really sweet to me, actually. I, I, I kind of defend him. So, I mean, not as a political person, but... Uh... I don't know. Like, um, my dad took me to one of the primary talks because I grew up in a Republican household. Mm. And uh, so we were meeting a lot of the Republican candidates. And I was the only person there under the age of 40. I imagine. 
And I was standing by the food, eating cheese, <laughs> as one does at boring events. And he came up to me and he started talking and he said, why are you interested in politics? And I'm like, oh, well, I want to be a lawyer and I think it's super important to be civically involved. I was way more into that before I could vote and get jury duty right. than I am now that it's an actual burden thing that I need to do. <laughs> and he, he was, he like he talked to me for like a couple of minutes. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, this guy's kind of nice. Reminds me of my dad. Oh. He's like a dad politician. Uh, okay. No. He's now Trump's lawyer he's or not, whatever. He's, no, he was, when he, you know. <laughs> No, when he was the mayor of the city, like, yeah, he did some work to clean up the streets, but he was also, like, a major dick. Yeah, I can kind of see it. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to get along really well with, like, old men who have interesting views on things. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, you remind me of my granddaughter. And I'm like, okay. That reminds me, <laughs> this reminds me of this guy I met on vacation. Uh, he's a cowboy from uh, Phoenix, and he's a complete, the complete opposite politically that I am. But I found him very entertaining. <laughs> Did he offer you any hard candies from like Weird Pockets? No, but he let me come over to his house to see his taxidermy. <laughs> <laughs> I brought my friends as a murderino. Okay. I brought my friends. <laughs> that was the best response you could have given me. I was not was better expecting than, that. Much better than candy, in my opinion. <laughs> Okay, I need to collect myself. <laughs> uh, all right, so to start us out, on Tuesday, uh, we found out how the college entrance admissions really work. Well, I mean, we all sort of had the idea that that was happening. My parents do not love me enough to commit fraud. No, my parents don't love me enough to spend a million dollars on education. Um, so for anyone who's been living under a rock, uh, prosecutors accused more than 30 rich parents, including company executives, a professor, a jeweler, fashion designer, an actress, etc., of paying massive bribes to get their children into elite schools, elite schools. I'm talking Stanford. I'm talking UT made the list. I don't particularly consider UT to be a super elite good school, very good school, mm-hmm. but, um, I was like, I wanted to wring the neck because UT's like homegrown, proud, yeah. longhorn. Yeah. So. I don't really put it into the Yale category, but I, you know, what the hell do I know? I don't know anything uh, about it. Anyway, apparently someone really, really wanted it. <laughs> um, so a couple of these people were from New York, which is why it's in our news of the week. Uh, so Gregory Abbott, 68, and um, Marcia, Marcia Abbott, I'm assuming his wife, 59, were accused of committing mail and wire fraud to get their progeny into fancy schools. Hmm. Um, so I love it that they don't have the confidence that their kid can pull it off on their own. <laughs> <laughs> How does that make you feel? <laughs> Years of therapy so for that. Bad. I actually do feel kind of bad for the kids, even if they were somewhat complicit in it, just because, you know, like your parents hype college to you as like, if you don't get into college, you will die. I know. But this it, this all comes off as like the most expensive participation award ever, ever. <laughs> like, here's $250,000 for this piece of paper that said you did something that you didn't actually participate in. And I think my favorite part is, is that people were faking these sports scholarships. The, the Photoshop head? <laughs> so people are taking these photos, sometimes even of professional athletes. Yeah. 
And they're making it look like their school. And they're photoshopping their children's heads onto these very, like, muscular, tall, athletic bodies. Yeah. And then, like, this kid, what, shows up at a college admissions interview? It's like, hey. You know what? The colleges could all need to do is a reverse Google image search to figure out that this is not actually true. It is so, like, what is going, what is happening? Everybody's complicit. Anyway, um... So I think lots of people are, oh, and now everyone's suing the schools because they're like, I got perfect SAT scores. I I didn't get in. $500 billion. And like, maybe you need to go back and take a math class. (laughs) But it's just, I I, I just love it because the system is so clearly broken and now we're watching it eat its own tail. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, it wouldn't, it'd be entertaining if it wasn't so frustrating. (laughs) Well, it's, it's just shameful. Like, you know, what this is, this whole idea of what are you teaching your kids? It's just, it's, they're, you're producing snowflakes. Like you, this is it. This is the whole reason why we have these kinds of people in the world. Yeah. I don't know. It just makes me, I kind of went to a Montessori college. So in a way I was very outside of this system. And when I hear things like this, <clears throat> I'm very happy that I chose the more eccentric Hmm. route. I went to a small state school in Minnesota and it was great. I got a great education. It wasn't that expensive and my parents didn't have to bribe anybody. Surprisingly, but they didn't. Good professors who care about students, you're going to get a good (laughs) education regardless of where you go. Mm -hmm. So, my two cents. (laughs) Also on Tuesday, uh, Taryn Tyler, age 33, was found guilty of criminal sex act and sex abuse um, for basically attacking a trans woman. I know. Uh, so the uh, victim said that she met Tyler on a first date uh, at a coffee shop near Penn Station in January in 2017. Uh, so Tyler went to the bathroom to uh, roll a joint. I guess as you do. As one does. And he uh, asked her to just, I don't know, meet him in the bathroom. So she like went and they're hanging out. And that's when he grabbed her hair, pulled her inside uh, and raped her. Uh, He faces up to 25 years. He's getting sentenced April 2nd. And it was really heartbreaking to read the article on this because the survivors. Oh, no. uh, the So Tyler, the defendant, Mm -hmm. the scumbag. His lawyer was talking about how Tyler was like, I didn't know she was trans. And I was so surprised. And I felt like I was attacked because I was in the same room as her. And I'm like, okay, really? Yeah. Give me a fucking break. So, so you, I, let, let's reel this. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I know. I haven't had enough coffee yet. I didn't bring any with me. Um, so I want to reel back for a second. So he rapes her in the bathroom. Uh-huh. And then he claims that he didn't know she was trans, so it can't be a hate crime? No, his whole thing was he's trying to do the angle that he, like, saw red and felt violated, and it's on her because it doesn't make any sense. None like, ma- there's no way to try to make sense of this because it just doesn't. Right. That's what, uh, yes. That's why I guess I'm trying to really- But it's like, I hear this time and time again, and it's like, uh, newsflash, trans women- experience violence at like a way higher rate than most people. Yep. 
They do. It is totally not their fault that there's horrible people who target them like this and who attack them. So he's a dick. Yeah. And I just like his attorney's a dick, too. Yeah. We're trying to use that as a defense. And um, yeah, so when I was looking through the news of the week that I wanted to emphasize, uh, every time I see a trans a trans person has been hurt, I try to talk about it because I think that they're really ignored. Yeah, they don't get a lot of press. Yeah. I hadn't heard about this so, this week. I'm glad that justice has been done. I hope that the survivor is able to heal and I hope that she knows that, you know, we're behind her. hundred percent. So. Fuck and that then, guy. I know. <laughs> uh, on Wednesday. Oh, this one's a little bit more fun. Uh, Frank Callie, the reputed uh, boss of the Gambino crime family, who has deep ties to the Sicilian mafia, was uh, shot in his front yard. Oh, dear. Um, in Staten Island. Uh, Wednesday night around 9.15 p.m. Uh, so Callie, 53, is walking in front of his home uh, when somebody in a blue pickup just drives up to him, shoots him six times in the chest, and speeds off. Okay. And it's funny because when the I was... The movie scene. Well, yeah. When I was reading this, I started rewatching The Sopranos because I got drunk and bought HBO. <laughs> As one does. I buy shoes, but, you know. <laughs> anyway... And uh, I just had this scene because there's so many moments in The Sopranos where someone is like sitting in the front yard in their slippers looking at the newspaper. And then I was just like, oh, Frank Cowley. Oh. I'm sorry. But also, you're a crime boss. Well, if you live the life. (laughs) But it's going to be a fun investigation, I think. This might be our new El Chapo. Okay. Uh, Just because it seems like there's going to be some pretty cool details coming out about the crime family and just New York mafia history. Okay, we'll keep an eye out. Yeah. Uh, of course, uh, the NYPD has all information under lock. Of course. Uh, but, you know, we'll wait for the trial um, when our poor reporter from Brooklyn Eagle <coughs> covers every single day of it. Um, and then, uh, <coughs> also good news, on Thursday... A uh, Gambian father of five who has uh, been locked away in a detention facility since January uh, via ICE Mm. uh, caught a lucky break. Uh, Governor Cuomo agreed to pardon him of his past crimes uh, as a way to uh, delay his deportation hearing. Do we know what the past crimes were? Yes. Okay. And it's really dumb. I mean, it's dumb that he was charged. I assumed it would be. Okay. Because, you know. Immigration yeah. issues. Yeah. People are racist. He's, All right. Yeah, he's brown. <laughs> so Baba came to the United States um, as a 22-year-old to escape his shithead father. And surprise, he wasn't allowed to legally work. Uh, so he sold, uh, like, just clothes in Manhattan. It wasn't entirely clear if he was doing one of those, like, Chinatown-type shops or if he just had, like, a little booth selling hats. Um. But, like, he got arrested several times for trying to make a living. Yeah. He probably had, like, a midtown t- t- table with, like, scarves and hats and stuff. I see those up by my office all I the time. beanies from them. You know, it's cold. It starts to rain. Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, so he gets arrested for that. Several misdemeanors, uh, basically like no big deal. I mean, in terms of crimes. Whatever. Uh, anyway, so since then, he was able to get a legal work permit and has been working as um, a building porter mm-hmm. since 2004. Okay. He has five. Since 2004. Yes. Okay. He has five kids. He has a wife. He lives in the Bronx. His wife and children are all U.S. citizens. And uh, so when ICE picked him up with, I'm assuming, the new Trump crackdown on people with, like, charges, mm-hmm. uh, I guess his case was lucky enough to land on Cuomo's desk. And uh, let me see. Alfonso David, Cuomo's chief counsel, uh, has this quote. He said, this man has a job. He pays taxes. He's been crime free for more than a decade. He contributes to society. Yeah, 100 percent. So uh, I'm happy that the governor is looking into this case. And I hope that many other people in his position are also given the same chance. Yeah, I know. I know. Every law firm should pick up some pro bono work and help these people. Yeah. And then uh, in uh, international news, Friday, 49 people were killed and 48 more were injured in a mass shooting in New Zealand that took place at two mosques. Mm-hmm. It was a uh, hate crime. The New Zealand head of state called it a terrorist attack, which I totally agree with. It is. Uh, I'm not going to give his name. <laughs> don't give him the, don't. He's not going to get a lot of publicity from, you know, this tiny radio show, but please don't mention his name. He yeah, doesn't, he doesn't I deserve it. copied down a lot of information about him, and then I was just like looking at it right now, and I'm like, who cares what he has to say? Um, him and two other people are in custody. Police are trying to figure out how many more people are involved. Um, again, almost 50 people killed, 48 people injured. Very clearly targeting mosques. Yep. So. Yay for white people. They're horrible. Yeah. And it's it's really surprising in New Zealand because they have some of the toughest gun laws in the world and they very rarely have episodes like this. Yeah. In some ways, that's what scares me more is just that I feel like the whole world has been infected. It has. White supremacy has, you know, far reaching tentacles. Yeah. And it's very it's heartbreaking. So I'm going to pause a moment so we can all think about the victims and then also as a hopefully somewhat more sensitive transition. <laughs> um, we wish all their families healing. Um, Love, yep. Love and light to them. All right. Uh, so also on Friday, something very wonderful happened. And I have a song about it that I am not going to play. Hold on, let me do this. It's Ruth Bader Ginsburg's birthday. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) happy birthday, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Happy birthday, RBG. We love you. This is my favorite birthday song. It's the Beatles. Today's your birthday. Yesterday was her birthday. She kicks ass. I love her so much. I love her, and um, I'm really glad she's on our team. So, in case uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is the second Supreme Court, second woman on the Supreme Court, she is 
from Brooklyn, homegirl. I hope you have a great day. Stay awesome. I wish you like 30 more years and the vial of immortality. (laughs) Just like find that fountain. You can have all of my organs if that's what you need. (laughs) I will donate all my organs to the cause. (laughs) All right. So now that uh, we've wished her a happy birthday and caught up on the news of the week, it is time to get into the CSI effect. Now, Megan. Yes, ma'am. Do you want to talk just a little bit about me, what it is? Let me put my glasses on. Um, okay, so the CSI effect, the term was coined, apparently, by USA Today back in 2004. And it basically is um, the general effects of jurors that have watched crime shows, like as it is named after CSI, or even they re- far reaching back to like Perry Mason. You know, where they have like this Perry Mason moment where he wins all his defense cases on cross-examination. So um, this particular effect is where jurors have an unreasonable expectation of the physical evidence that's brought up like DNA or lie detectors, uh, bite science, hair science, fingerprinting. They have a high expectation that these kinds of physical evidence should always be at a crime scene. Um, and, you know, and, and the truth is often that it's not. And also that it, that the sign that the investigators can determine yeah. and analyze it quickly. Yeah. And within 45 minutes. Yeah. Magic. It's magic. Yeah. Actually, I had a quote from someone saying that watching these shows is basically just watching science magic. Yeah, it is. And some, you know, in some of these shows, you don't even know if, if like that magic fin- fingerprint machine actually exists. But some of them do actually also project like cutting edge stuff that hasn't even made it to the the general population of police departments. So again, that is it sort of contributes to the idea of magic. I'm trying to remember the show I watched. It was about like the naval. Investigators, NCIS, yeah, NCIS. I never watched that one. <clears throat> they have this girl Abby, and she's like this like adorable like goth girl, mm-hmm. and she's their analyst. Mm-hmm. God, I can't even remember what's the name. Crime, I guess, crime scene investigators. Uh, and she has like this giant computer that she's always typing on, and then like they like put a hair sample into this thing, and then out pops this photo. It's like the machine that goes ping. That's not how it works. No, that's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. Uh, yeah, and so uh, this causes a problem for a lot of people because you have these jurors who go into the courtroom expecting uh, police testimony and witness and uh, expert testimony to be a lot more definitive mm-hmm. than it is. Yeah, they don't. They don't like circumstantial evidence. They think it's, you know, it, it, it tends to be weak. And and that's not actually the case. If you have a mountain of circumstantial evidence and decent witness testimony, you should be sophisticated enough to understand that there's probably, a, you could probably convict this person on these charges. And also, I was taken aback by how often an inconclusive result can lead to a conviction. And I think it's because a lot of people might hear inconclusive, but then depending on the way they 
the expert frames it when they're on the stand. Uh, it's as if the jurors don't, it's like they're pushing it more towards being conclusive and the jurors want it to be conclusive. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess I kind of wanted to talk about how almost debunking some of the techniques that are used during investigations. I do want to say that they are helpful, but they're not definitive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like we could talk about the bite mark science, right? Which is sort of borderline junk, but. Did you look into, do you want to talk about bite marks? Um, it's this is just off the top of my head. I I was fascinated by it for a while. I mean, not it could it could be um argued that people's teeth are like people's fingerprints. Not everybody has the same teeth, the amount of teeth, the you know the Well and you use dental records to identify bodies. Yeah. Right. So it could be valid. But it has been proven in some cases that it and you know, unless you have like the whole bite mark, it's it's almost impossible to say whether it's one person or another. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that whole partial print thing. It's like they need a certain amount of points on the print in order to definitively say it's 80% chance this person, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and and then there's the hair science thing, which has been proven to be... Um, to be false to be false science were there anything what stood out to you in your research um what stood out to me was that um you know i i kind of always understood the prosecutor's issue with a lot of the the csi effect um harder to get your convictions or whatever but then there was this idea of reverse csi where the defense argues that it's harder for them to defend because they have to get experts up there to explain what DNA is and how it's collected and blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. how it's, why is this sample valid? Why is it not valid? So um, it seems that both sides have to spend an inordinate amount of time trying to explain it to the jury. And as we know from last week's show, they're probably just not that interested in what they have to say. Jurors are stupid. <laughs> Not all, but some. <laughs> I think I would be a dumb juror. Like, I have a graduate degree, and uh, for my uh, job once, I had a police officer explain to me blood splatter, splatter analysis for an hour. Um, he was really sweet, and I don't know, I couldn't get him off the phone. But uh, it was hard to keep up with at some point. It's very technical. Yeah. You're looking at so many things. And I could see it being very overwhelming in a courtroom setting uh, where you only have a limited time to really talk Mm -hmm. to try to get all this information to you because there's so many nuances. And that's, I think, kind of what this show is going to be about is, is that science is very rarely definite and it can be very difficult to kind of explain why something isn't 100%. Right. And and some people aren't interested you know if you lose them after the technical talk that's one thing but some people are just not interested in in um in in the nuances they want the hard stuff they want the hard dna they want the you know proven fingerprint Mm -hmm. 
They want the physical evidence. And if the physical evidence isn't there, then a lot of juries are like, well, you know, I mean, look at Casey Anthony. Yeah. No physical evidence to tie her to that. And then there's cases where I think prosecutors get a little over eager and almost fudge things. Yeah. And I actually have, um, I found an example of kind of CSI effect gone wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... In the fall of 1985, a 16-year-old Kimberly Simon from Marcy, New York, uh, was uh, just walking to meet up with a high school friend uh, one evening. And the next day, police found her body on the side of the road. She'd been raped and strangled. Mm. And um, I have a quote from her memorial website. Mm -hmm. Uh, It says that Kim was a beautiful, kind girl with a contagious laugh. She came from a wonderful family. Uh, Those who knew and loved her will never be the same. She touched so many people, and our search for justice and closure for her, her family, and her friends will never stop. And I just wanted to spend a moment to remember Kim. Um, But then while the police were investigating her case, uh, witnesses say they saw a uh, kind of a large kind of built out blonde man driving a truck, uh, talking to her on a street. Some people also placed a man similar to this, uh, near a bowling alley. And, uh, Stephen Barnes, then 23, um, was kind of the guy that the police were looking into. And there were witnesses kind of claiming he was here or there. He said that he actually was at a bowling alley and that was his alibi during the time of the murder. Uh, He was questioned for 12 hours straight, uh, three days after uh, Kim was found murdered. Um, And he was given a polygraph test. Investigators said it was inconclusive. Uh, Police checked his truck for fingerprints and traced evidence. Uh, He was released. But then a couple years later, it's like a cold case. The police returned to him. And uh, they asked him for blood samples, saliva, hair samples, and then it sounds kind of like uh, during the trial, uh, let me see. So he was eventually arrested. Mm-hmm. And at the trial, the smoking gun, you could say, was uh, fabric from the victim's dream, jeans and an imprint on Barnes's truck, uh, like related to each other. Mm-hmm. There is a pattern to it. And so they got a criminologist up there. Uh, who said that this shows that she was in his truck. And they also took some hair samples that were, um, like, similar to the victim's hair. And that's how he got convicted. Um, And so, let me see. Microhopics, hair hair analysis, soil comparison, and fabric print analysis were all used. Mm -hmm. Now, in 2007, the Innocence Project sinks their claws into him. And into the investigation, and they're able to disprove it. And in fact, just as you were saying, um, hair analysis, fabric analysis, all of these things are incredibly difficult for scientists to prove. And it is kind of encroaching on junk science. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thankfully, he has since been exonerated. And um, through advanced DNA testing, um, they con- conclusive results that Barnes was not the murderer, and he is now free. Okay. And from that DNA testing, did they get another profile? No, it's a cold case now. Oh, crap. 
So I actually had to hand it to uh, Kim's family because a lot of times on those websites, the, um, the families will be will still believe that that first person was the one who did it. Mm-hmm. And her family seems to have very much kind of sided with him and just been like, what happened to Barnes was terrible. And that was like, justice was not done for him, for us. And they just want the murderer to be found. So I, I thought that was very uh, honorable and noble of them. I found a case that's different, but I found it interesting on the CSI effect. Mm-hmm. This was um, back in 2015. Suspects caught two blocks from a shooting scene. Gun was inside his backpack. Multiple witness identified him by by his, him, his face and his outfit. Um, and the shooter was trying to kill a guy on a Brooklyn street. Um, and the jury was like, you ain't got no DNA. And so they let him go. They let him go. Fully acquitted, even on the gun charge. Yeah. So, yeah. It's nuts. It's just kind of like, I think that both both of these cases just kind of go to show that both the prosecutor and the jury have kind of realistic expectations about what can be done with this information, mm-hmm. you know? And I mean, I think that the prosecutor kind of understands their overreach a little bit, but I think they feel that they're forced to do that. I, I get, yeah, I mean, I think the jurors need to understand that sometimes DNA testing isn't actually appropriate. Like eyewitness accounts with a guy, the same gun, you get a ballistics match. Okay. Guy gets caught with the backpack. It's the guy down the street. I'd be fine with that. Yeah. And then, you know, like the staircase mm-hmm. murder. The owl did with it. The owl. I really, I'm team owl. I'm team owl. What's that guy's name? Michael Peterson. <laughs> that was fast. I t- I'm a cr- I'm I'm a true crime junkie. You know what can I say? Uh, yeah. So Michael Peterson. Uh, long story. Very long story short. Uh, he more or less beat his wife over the head with a blunt object as she was walking down a staircase. A blow poker. And oh yeah 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 from the fireplace. Mm-hmm. And you see this. Uh, the the blood splatter it was kind of weird because there wasn't any blood on the ceiling mm-hmm. and so he got an expert to do this test where you like hit an object and you like swing it back really quickly and of course the liquid is going to like spray out in an arc mm-hmm. and I was watching the documentary and the video of this uh, test and I'm like this feels like bullshit it's total bullshit. <laughs> It was. It was. I mean, in order to, you know, like, that's the thing. Like, if in order to conduct an experiment, you have to have the exact same conditions in order for the experiment to even be remotely valid. Right. But it's like, how would you even do the exact same conditions? You're like, this is the angle of the arm. This is the tension of the muscle. You know, I mean, yeah, whatever. Mm hmm. Uh, but I have also read that even when blood splatter analysis is more directly analyzed, it's still, it's kind of hit or miss. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> Go science. Didn't mean the pun, but yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, I don't know. Um, I think the thing that I actually found really interesting when I was looking into this was, was that um, when you collect 
uh, forensic evidence, the police station that collects it is not allowed to do the analysis. They have to send it to a lab Mm -hmm. because if you are the investigator conducting the interviews, you are considered biased against the evidence, possibly. And so they always send it to a third party as kind of almost like this double blind way to protect the... uh, protect it well there's also such a great chance for human error in the collection process too i mean i read i was reading about a case where dna was collected and at this crime scene and it turned you know the, the guy that they're saying did this crime wasn't even there and it's because it, his dna ended up actually being there because the emt that treated him at the shooting site went back to the crime scene God. <laughs> it's like don't Why are that. you going back to the crime scene? I don't understand. Yeah. Um, although one good thing did come out of all of this is, is that the Albuquerque Police Department is trying to improve scientific literacy through developing a citizen CSI program. <gasps> I want to go. I know. That'd be fun. So they just have like these classes where you can go and learn about forensic evidence. Why doesn't Brooklyn do that? They have their own DNA lab now. You see in the NYPD. They don't care. I know. Like. <laughs> New York is just so bureaucratic in terms of their criminal justice system. Like, well, I actually, I did meet, I've met some really nice uh, police officers at like community board meetings, like the community liaisons. I've known a lot of great officers. Yeah. And it's like, they throw like block parties for the youth. They're always really lame, but they give you candy. So I always go. I want taxidermy, not candy. (laughs) Full circle. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, this is like an issue that everyone's aware of. It's just, I think it's hard to prevent. And there's like a truthiness to, um, a lot of this science. And Mm -hmm. they say even, um, uh, like arson analysis. Yeah. We can talk about that guy in Texas who got convicted of burning his house a lot with his three kids in there. Mm -hmm. And that arson investigator relied on some bullshit uh, science to say that he used a accelerant and because of this one burn pattern on the mm-hmm. floor and that burn pattern happened to be from a grill that was there like 10 years prior. Really? That's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. And he's, yeah, he was on death row. I can't remember if he was executed. I think he was executed. This was years ago. There was a big, there was a, a documentary on it. I can't remember the, his name. That's just so awful. It's awful. Um, oh, so uh, I was actually talking to my mother after our show on the death penalty. Because I grew up in a household that was a little bit more pro. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said that, you know, like as she's looked into it and read these articles about people who are innocent... She's changed her mind a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can't get it right. There's um, too many times we've not gotten it right. I keep on telling her to call in Roxy Perpich. If you're listening and want to be on the show. Your mom's name is Roxy. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I have her name tattooed on my hand. Oh, my goodness. That's so amazing. One of my best friends. Uh, so anyone listening wants to call in, call in at 718-928-9732. Again, that is 718-928-9732. Give us your thoughts. Do you watch CSI? 
you think this is all bullshit, we would love to uh, hear your response. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> we're both like waiting with bated breath. <laughs> well, I think it would be really cool to start to incorporate live callers. I am all for it. 100% behind it. Especially now that we're doing more like policy type episodes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think that both of us kind of live in, I won't say a true crime bubble, but. I do. I definitely do. <laughs> we seem to think a similar way about a lot of these things. So. I mean, last night I watched like eight hours of true crime television, listened oh. to some podcasts. Like I live there. I started watching True Detective, which is totally not based on anything true, <laughs> but it's still a great show. I didn't like the second season. and Everybody's telling me to watch the third season, so I think I'm going to watch Should that. I just skip the second and go straight to the third? Yeah. Okay, I might Because they're completely that. unrelated anyway. Yeah. Um, but the second, the first season takes place um, in a region that is like near and dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. At one point, they drive to Beaumont, and I'm like, oh my God, I've seen that sign. <laughs> and they go to like this pool hall that is like a regional chain that I used to hang out at too often. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like crappy strip malls in like the Gulf Coast. I get really nostalgic. <laughs> oh, that one was really good. Woody Harrelson was really good in that yes. show. Uh, okay, so back to my pet topic on forensic evidence. Let's talk about lie detector tests. Let's do it. All right. So this American Life did a really amazing episode on lie detectors. So I strongly advise everyone, if you want to learn more and be scared out of your mind, <laughs> to check it out. And uh, basically what their episode was about was there is a uh, lie detector administrator who was very good at his job, who uh, he'd like been working for working with it for years. And then he had a buddy who goes, hey. I know how to beat a lie detector test. And this guy's like, okay, you know, like, what's your suggestion? I've seen them all. And he goes, if you tense your sphincter. Oh, good God. It causes. <laughs> no, I'm so serious. <laughs> it causes. Dudes, man. <laughs> Dudes. Well, girls can do it too. Yeah. Doing it right now. It causes, <laughs> you almost spit out your Gatorade. <laughs> Sorry. There's like no way to prepare someone for that. You just have to say it. Anyway, if you're doing like Kegel bells, whatever, uh, it causes your heart rate to accelerate. You get a little bump. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to fool a lie detector test, you're supposed to try to so meditate a little bit before you go in. And then during the test, for all of the uh, answers that are relevant to the investigation, regardless of if your answer is true or false, mm-hmm. every question that is relevant to the investigation, you take a deep breath, you try to be super calm, and you answer. Mm-hmm. And then every question that is irrelevant, which is like the... Control control questions. You tense your sphincter. And it (laughs) and it does it gives your a heart rate spike to make it look like you're lying. Mm -hmm. And so when they get it, uh, your results are all gibberish because you've basically screwed up the control. Mm -hmm. And so once this guy, he like ran it on himself a couple of times, he's like, Well, and he resigned that day. Oh crap. 
Oh, wow. And so now he is uh, an advocate against using lie detector tests. Mm-hmm. And actually, lie detector tests are inadmissible in court, but you all the time see police using them. Yeah, they say it's an investigative tool. But how is it a tool if it's false? I, I Well, I totally agree. You're preaching to the choir, sister. <laughs> but it's... I mean, it's again, I, in my mind, it's sort of borderline junk science. They use it to, you know, direct the investigation. Well, with what? Bad information? Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, uh, I've watched these police videos where they say, well, just as a formality, do you mind if you come in for a lie detector test? It's voluntary. Yeah. And it is technically, but. A lot of times, person be like, "Well, I don't know. Like, I don't. I just I feel uncomfortable with it." And the police, like, literally in their notes, I've seen their handwritten notes. They'll say something like, "Shows resistance to lie detector tests." Dot yeah. dot dot. Uncooperative. What? Yeah. They're, now they're uncooperative, which makes so you take it. You're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, let's say that you're like the, the lie detector test shows that you're. Shows what they want, shows that you're calm, you're quote unquote telling the truth the correct way, you don't have anything to do with it. I mean, I can see how it would be kind of handy to be like, please stop bothering me. Mm-hmm. I have this thing. But then there is just such a high chance of it being bunk. Like you're under a stressful situation. I probably would have a panic attack just being in a police office. They're asking you questions about someone you probably know that about a violent crime that has happened against this person. Mm-hmm. I'm always amazed at how calm people are during these police interviews. Yeah, me too. It's fascinating. It's like, I'd be my, crying. If I my would be friend crying. or my sister died, I would just be not putting it together. Oh, puddle mess. Yeah. It's like so much Xanax. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. That was just my pet one because I always thought like lie detectors are so definite. And again, you see it in TV with the little like clicking and the wave and... No, it's all bullshit. I, I do it. I just, yeah. You're going to be considered uncooperative, but I'd rather be considered uncooperative. I don't, there's no right answer. Just don't get arrested. <laughs> like, that's like my only advice. Well, they, so well, they take those tests before you've even been arrested. Don't avoid any situation where the police are present. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I really feel for people where they see a crime and they just start running. I Towards get, it? No, just away. Just oh. run. Like, <laughs> I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. I totally get that. Uh, the flight syndrome. Yeah. Well, it's like, I don't want to be involved in this. Yeah. Know? I know. Um, so we actually have a few minutes left and I think we've basically covered the topic. Is there anything else that you wanted to? Oh, I did. Did you see the article this week on... Um, how New York state has been giving states across the country grants to test old DNA rape kit. Oh, have you seen that? Yeah. I saw something about that. Say more, say more. 64 uh, offenders had been arrested, repeat offenders across the country. That makes me so angry. It makes me angry, but it makes me proud to be a New Yorker. Yeah. Yeah. But like, they're repeat offenders. I know. So many people could have not been, Raped. Well, well, there was one guy that was arrested. I think it was in Arizona, and he had crimes in Florida and New York and somewhere in the Midwest, too. Violent rapes. It's just... I know. It's depressing. However, 
it gives me hope that New York State is at the forefront of giving money to test these old these old kits, which is a pet project of mine. Yeah, I donate a lot to to make that happen. Um, and the backlog, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Part of me wants to like take a forensics class at John Jay now. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, even just hearing about these rape kits, it's like. There are really important forensic tools that we need. And uh, it's just, I guess, what, a funding issue more than anything? A lot of it is a funding issue. Um, you know, they can. I think they're up to like $1,500 a piece. So the smaller uh, jurisdictions don't have those kinds of resources. Um, well, and again, you have to get them sent to a lab anyway. Yeah. And I'm sure that these labs are kept quite busy. Well, if they had been sent to the lab in the first fucking place, we wouldn't have this goddamn problem. Instead of putting them on a shelf in a deserted warehouse amongst the elements and animals and other critters. Way to end on a positive note, Megan. (laughs) Makes me angry. Well, I guess it is good, though, that these um, horrible people have gotten caught. Come to justice. Yes. But, oh my God, I can't even imagine. Um. I think that's, (laughs) I'm like running out of steam. I'm so sorry. That's okay. I think that's fun at the gym. (laughs) Oh no. Okay. So me at the gym is pretty interesting because, uh, every time I try a new machine within the first 30 seconds, I fall off of it. (laughs) Please take video. Please let Ashton take video. (laughs) It's so terrible. I don't let him watch me work out. It's embarrassing. Uh, although I was able to run 10 blocks to a play. Okay. I was running late. I ran all the way from Union to St. Mark's. Wow. And I more or less didn't stop. Okay. Or fall. I got there in, I think, like five minutes, which is not great considering it's good for me. Don't judge. I'm not judging. I don't run at all. Um, and then my friend just like waltzes in two minutes before curtain call. He's like, oh, hello. And I'm like, I ran here. Oh, uh, so he got there after you did? Yes. Like so much after. Jerk. I know. I texted <laughs> her and I'm like, you better be running right now. And then she started to kind of hustle. <laughs> She's just like gorgeous hair or whatever. Like, oh, please. Whatever. Like sweating. <laughs> <laughs> but there's uh, no, I don't run. There's no running ever. Do you work out? No. Do you want to ever work out at Blink in Bushwick, super far from your house with me? No. No? <laughs> uh, no. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to start doing yoga again. It's been a long, been a long time. But. Yoga's good. Mm-hmm. It's too intense, though. I'm nothing weird like hot yoga or bicker, whatever the hell that is. I don't want, I don't want that. It's, it smells enough in there. Like You don't need to jack the temperature up to 110. <laughs> I can do downward dog. You could just, do you can do corpse pose. pose. Corpse po- is that what it's called? You, yeah, you lay on your back flat with your arms up. I can definitely <laughs> do that one. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. All the hidden crimey things we have: corpses and yoga and taxidermy from old men in California, Arizona, Arizona. His name's Jeff, and he's lovely. Jeff. Mm-hmm. Hi, Jeff. Doubtfully, he's listening. You should get him to, I was going to say, you should get him to listen to the show. Jeff, we love you. You should be our call-in listener next time. I think I want it to happen. I'm going to start to harass my friends. You're going to, okay. I'll, um, 
Do you have any buddies who like talk crime? Um, I do. I have a couple. And I think a couple of them listen so we could get them to call in. I just think it would be kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I'd love to hear from my friends. You know what we here. should do is I should um, re-up my uh, bunk Facebook page for Crime Talk. We could do some things. We could social media. We could do some social media. <laughs> we could post old episodes so people could listen. Oh, I feel so shamed. <laughs> I need to get those passwords to you. Oh, my God. Yeah. I have all the old episodes downloaded on my computer. Uh-huh. And I label them Crime Talk, Zip File 1, Zip File 2, Zip File 38. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can figure it out. All right. Well, it is time for us to go. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been fun. Please come back next week for more talk on crime, murder, criminal justice. We have it all um, every Saturday at 11 a.m. Thanks for listening. Later days. We're pretty looking people But I can tell you people They were the devil's children Bonnie and Clyde Began their evil doing One lazy afternoon Down Savannah Way They robbed a store And hightailed out of that town Got clean away In a stolen car their reputation and made the graduation into the banking business reach for the sky sweet talking pride would holler as gone and loaded dollars in the july back now one brave man he tried to take them alone they left him lying in a pool of blood and laughed about it Enemy number one Running and hiding from every American lawman's gun They used to laugh about dying But deep inside them they knew That pretty soon they'd be lying Beneath the ground together Pushing up there just to welcome the sun and the morning A federal deputation laid a deadly ambush when Bonnie...